Lights, you are listening to Marvel's Pull List, and I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. I hope you guys and gals out there enjoyed our episode last week with Infinity Gauntlet Reading Club, and we're, we're trying something else, something fun this week on the same tip. Tucker, what are we talking about? This week... We are diving headfirst into the incredible action of War of the Realms, one of the best events and collection of books across the board, whether it's main series or tie-in for my money, um, over the last few years. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. This is, to me, it typifies what a modern classic can and should be. It is self-contained, but it is so perfectly like connected to so much more, and uh, especially on a reread i just fell back in love with it so hard yeah it's pretty crazy because it takes that dynamic to like the nth degree the dynamic that we talk about all the time of like if you've been reading every single issue every single tie-in then you know all of that's going to pay off but if you're just jumping in with war of the realms number one it's still going to be incredible it takes that dynamic exponentially high because jason aaron the writer of this series had been seeding the War of the Realms for how many years? Uh, I think it was about six and a half, seven years. Incredible. Yeah. We're going to get into the creative team heavily really soon, actually, because we're doing something extra special, extra different for this episode. In addition to Tucker and myself, you'll also hear from that very same creative team, the writer, artist, and colorist, as well as editor Sarah Brunstad, and maybe by the end of the episode, even a wild and woolly Greg Pak, writer of one of the tie-ins for the book. This should be understood, but a big heads up. There's going to be plenty of spoilers. We're talking about this book. We're going to be breaking it down and getting into it and why we love it. But basically, it's like us running down a lot of our favorite moments and what they mean to both us and to the book and the Marvel Universe and everything. So if you've not read War of the Realms yet, you can find it you know, wherever you get your Marvel comics that's collected in trade, it is available as a digital purchase. And of course, it is also available in full on Marvel Unlimited. Now, there's also something really fun right now because we're also providing a bunch of free Marvel Unlimited comics right now. You got to get the Marvel Unlimited app to read these free comics. No payment is required now. And it's like the perfect time to dive in to get a selection of comics available in the app. You can catch up with titles you've been meaning to read or try some new ones. Uh, and there's going to be new ones available every month on Marvel Unlimited, the app on both iOS and Android. Download the app and get reading. And if you're looking for comics for younger readers, be sure to go to MarvelHQ.com for a section of free all ages comics. Now, reminder, War of the Realms is neither all ages nor is it one of these free books but it rules and we really really hope you check it out before you dig into the rest of this episode that being said let's dive in first things first the credits for war of the realms and this is really important it is written by jason aaron drawn by russell dodderman colors by matthew wilson letters by vcs joe sabino and that is the creative team throughout the entire six issue storyline which is a very difficult thing to do you know, to make sure everybody's all together able to complete the story that they intend to. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge feat from an editorial perspective, and then obviously a creative perspective, but huge shout out also to associate editor Sarah Brunstad and editor Will Moss, two of the best in the business for shepherding this thing along, because 
as we talk about it, you'll see there's there's a lot of different tendrils. There's a lot of different branches to this tree. This creative team, Jason, Russell, Matthew, Joe, is for my money, it's the best top to bottom kind of like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, like whatever take your pick baseball team ever. But like this is batters one through nine, the whole lineup of all stars and the way they work together is so incredible. It's not just that they're all so good individually, they combine their talents in pretty unmatched fashion. Agreed. I reminded myself how spectacular this was because it was also released April through June of 2019. So it's six issues over the course of three months. So that's a truncated release schedule. It's not like it's coming out monthly. It is coming out fast and furious it's telling stories you have very little time to breathe as a reader which is great you're very excited you're hanging by thread but the creator is being able to actually land that is is spectacular you know we, we talked about this there had been a lot of build-up for this we actually have a great clip of editor sarah brunstad talking about the initial pitch she heard and and how that was delivered for what war of the realms ended up becoming I remember when Jason Aaron pitched this event to the editorial summit, a meeting we hold twice a year where a bunch of our top talent joins forces in a room to come up with new ideas. He had originally planned for the whole arc to take place in the Thor comic he was writing at the time. But when he laid out the whole plan, everyone in the room was immediately like, Jason, this is big. And we realized we had to do more with it. I'm so glad we did, not just because the event book itself was great, but also because it made room for some really fun tie-ins and also let the main Thor series breathe more. So Jason got to tell some incredibly emotional stories that we might not otherwise have the room for. Yeah, pretty sure I was in the room for that pitch that Sarah's talking about. And yeah, everybody's like, let's do this. This is the thing that the world should read as a giant Marvel universe epic event. So starts as a Thor story and it at its core, yes, it's very much a, a Thor family story, but it is so much a Marvel universe story and that kind of stuff. When we get excited about a book, we start sparking on ideas. And so one of the couple of the fun things that we did around war of the realms was like just the promotional stuff that we did. We, um, we talked to Jason Aaron as the story was coming together. It was about to come out and we were like, this needs a song. This needs like a theme song. And Jason was like, yeah, you know, I listened to this and I listened to that. And he's got all these vibes. And so we went to my friend, Jimmy Urin, who's done the music for uh, Marvel's pull list for this week in Marvel. He's been in the Marvel studios, guardians of the galaxy volume two movie. Um, he's the lead singer of a band called mindless self-indulgence. And I was like, Jimmy, we need a song. Can you do this? And he crushed it. course if you want to hear the whole thing we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes because it's, it's available it's out there uh but it rules and then one more thing um i was even able to make the greatest move in all of my history and career at marvel i was able to get uh the house of ideas to pay for me and jason aaron to get <laughs> tattooed uh, at my tattoo shop in Brooklyn, uh, shout out to Dave Wallen and Ada Swords, because we filmed a video of us getting tattooed. Hey, Marvelites, Ryan Panagos, AKA Agent M here in Brooklyn. 
braving the wilds of Jotunheim on a frosty day, very excited for War of the Realms. So excited, in fact, that I am getting myself a War of the Realms tattoo. And I just so happen to bring Mr. Jason Aaron with me. Dude, you said we we're going to get tacos. Yeah, ta something with a T. Don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. <laughs> so we got tattoos for War of the Realms. I believe in the story so much. I have it on my body for the rest of my life. Listeners, if you've ever wondered where this event stands in the pantheon of anything that's gone on in the last decade plus of Marvel Comics, there's your answer. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about the the setup to this. You you alluded to it a little bit earlier, Tucker, about the road that Jason and his many collaborators built leading to War of the Realms. Um, who is Malekith? Malekith, the dark elf, is... Man, I it, it is so hard to kind of encapsulate so much and feel like you're doing it justice, but nonetheless, it's both incredibly complex and 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 there are so many different stories that are built into this. Obviously, we talked about the years of, of buildup that went into this story, but at the same time, it's very simple. Malekith the Accursed, he's a dark elf. He's the ruler of Svartalfheim, right? Yep. This is a great character that's been around for a really long time and has had some really epic throwdowns with Thor and with a, a bunch of other characters, but this is one of those moments that really elevates this villain to kind of the next level it's something we talked about last week with thanos and that went down with infinity gauntlet and it's so cool because i you know when we were reading these issues as they were coming out you could tell then to to be on the ground floor of it in that way was was really really awesome you could feel the the power of what was going on yeah and over the course of the years that he was you know, that Jason and, and the other creators were building this, they were building a couple of other things. So they had established that there's 10 realms, you know, traditionally there's like the nine realms, but over time we introduced the 10th realm of heaven, H-E-V-E-N. Uh, that's where Angela comes from. And that's been sort of seated in. And we had on the, like the sort of quote unquote good guy side on the Asgardian and other forces side, there's been this league of realms, which is like, you know, sort of warrior commanders who have banded together to try to fight a good fight. Um, and you've had so many cool members. I think my favorite is Sir Ivory Honeyshot, Light Elf of Alfheim. Yeah. He rules. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, and then I think I even like it more. Malekith has his forces. So he's got Loki, which is Thor's brother. He's got Ulick, the Lord of the Trolls, who is one of my favorite character designs in all of like Thor's rogues gallery curse who is also tied to those 80s malekith stories uh laufe who's the king of the frost giants uh cinder who's the queen of um muspelheim and the daughter of surter the queen of heaven who's the ruler of all the the angels of heaven the enchantress who's you know the long-standing as guardian sorceress and dario agar the you know minotaur horrifying nightmare head CEO of Rocks on Oil. It's such a perfect collection of bad, bad people over the, the course of the, the story leading up to War of the Realms. They have taken over nine of the ten realms. They are pretty much in charge. Asgard, fallen. Everything is just gone to crap. And Midgard is the last place that they need to go to in order to take over. And so that's what the War of the Realms is. 
Malekith, his forces, they come to Earth to take over. Uh, and they've got a really cool uh, thing called the Black Bifrost that they use to travel between the realms because they destroyed the regular Bifrost. The Rainbow Bridge is gone. It's like chaos, chaos, chaos. It's ah, it's all wild. So that's really all you need to know is bad dudes coming to Earth. Good guys have to stop them. Simple, <sighs> but it's so elegantly done. All right, so let's dive into the first issue. And I actually want to bring in the creative team as we're going to hear from them a bunch this episode because we did a bunch of roundtables as the book was coming out in 2019 for This Week in Marvel. And um, we had so much great material in there. I wanted to make sure we could share some of that. So we have Matt Wilson here talking about Captain America being introed in the first issue. And it sort of gives you a little sense of what the tone is. Yeah, I think for me, it was... Um as much fun to color it, but then like to read the dialogue with it or have read the script before coloring it was uh, maybe I, it might have been Cap getting introed in the issue when he's like, what would what would Thor do? And it's that answer, I would assume, is smack a frost giant in the face. And mm-hmm. but for Captain America to do that, he's running up the stairs in a building. And then the next time you see him, he comes flying out the window shield first and like right into the face of the frost giant. And then the way Russell drew that sequence is you have Cap in the foreground landing on like the roof of a car, which of course is like crumpling under his weight, you know, and he's landing very heroically. And you see the frost giant's foot kind of coming off the ground. And then in the next panel, Cap's hopping off the car, moving on to the next thing while the frost giant's like falling to the ground. I love that. That that scene, both in its concept and its execution, is probably my favorite. I love that choice of a favorite from from Matt there. Like and that that's just like the idea of this team being so simpatico with each other and you know, they love you, you, Matt talking about the script and talking about you know the pencils and all of it coming together. Uh, and I have another clip I want to play before we talk about that even more about Russell because we're you know thinking about their favorite moments from this first issue. Russell has uh, another one that also involves Cap. I think we got to talk about Malekith taking a shield to the face. In issue oh one. yeah, <laughs> that's a great drawing. <laughs> I loved that in the script so much that you know because yeah. it's right in the middle of Malekith's like I'm here to conquer yeah. your world speech, and then Cap just like whacks him in the face with the shield. I really love yeah. that. And his hair still looks amazing yeah. <laughs> with that shield. You know, he uses good product. Right. Hair is always yeah. on point. Yes. <laughs> the dark elves have good hair products. Yeah. yeah. Everybody yeah. knows that. And horrible housing options. But. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I want to get some of that dark elf hair product. Yeah. I want to just hang out with this crew. Like, as these <laughs> clips are playing, I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, these are cool guys. What the heck? That's They, <laughs> they like, genuinely love each other and love working together. Yeah. Just so good. Tucker, let's talk a little bit about some of our favorite moments. I, I was, you know, going through the issue, I started jotting down. I was like, Odin getting just Julius Caesared in uh, in his throne room. It was just like, step, step, yeah. step, 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 by all the um, Dark Elf dudes is so much fun and just brutal. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I I love, and, you know, I'm, I'm flashing back to what we were talking about last week again with Infinity Gauntlet and how much I love Mephisto in that story. I love everything that's going on with Loki in this story because I think Jason has just such an incredible agility and command with that character. I mean, you know, obviously he's, you know, maybe the best comic book writer working today. So, you know, this is all a bit redundant beyond that. But like his command of that character and the way that he builds him up and then undercuts him and then builds him up again 
the way that he just bounces around with that character. And then kind of this, when I remember reading it for the first time, this just like crazy huge turn that happens with Loki and kind of towards the end of the issue was so unexpected to me. And I think strangely opens up a bunch of really interesting options beyond that. But yeah, I think that big Loki moment slash everything that goes on with Loki, I just love. Yeah, all the Loki, Laufey stuff is just bonkers and wild. Um, before we get into a little bit more of that, we've got some clips in here from Russell and Jason and Matt talking about just how gnarly that whole thing is. Oh my God. <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but it was really fun <laughs> to draw his legs all squiggly when he was getting eaten. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, I wanted to make it as you know visceral and I knew that Matt would come through with the color palette that would really make it pop and we knew that that had to be a really big moment in the issue so I tried to make it as horrible and gruesome and make everybody reading the comic as horrified as I was when I was reading Jason's script. Yeah, I think in my mind when I wrote it, I was just imagining Laufey like popping a Tic Tac, you know, just like <laughs> tossing, <laughs> tossing him in his mouth and then... Will and Russell were like, no, we need to, he's got to like chomp on him. Yeah. Gotta, uh, so I, in this one case, I wasn't the guy who made it super gross and weird. <laughs> uh, they all kind of work together to make it gross and weird. And um, part of the whole thing is like figuring out what's real, what's fake, because it's always Loki. It's like, how do you balance that? And um, uh, Matt has a great line in here talking about that. Holograms don't crunch. I think that was really Loki. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Holograms yeah. don't crunch. It's like, I don't know. I just want a picture of Matt's face with one of his Eisners, and it just says, holograms don't crunch. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And Thor kind of gets taken off the board a little bit in the first issue, but it has my last favorite moment for the first issue, which is Thor just he's been shunted to Jotunheim and he's been assaulted nonstop by frost giants. So he's like bloody and he's battered. And it's just this big shot of him that says, send more giants. And he's just ready to destroy. It's so cool. It's so metal. And that's how you end more or less the first issue, which rules. Cause then the second issue things get so bad for the heroes and so second issue, we dive into it. It's got lots of great moments. Most of it is set in New York City, aside from stuff in like Jotunheim and various places. But we get little bits and pieces, those character moments. Remember last week we were talking about Wolverine and Hulk? Mm -hmm. So this one has like the Wolverine and Punisher moment that I love so much. It's the two of them. They've sort of been like away from each other. And like Wolverine's just sort of like catching up with his old friend Frank. And Punisher's like, Wolverine, heard you were dead. Wolverine says, nah, just really drunk for a long time. How have things been with you, Frank? He says, I'm reloaded. Right, good catching up. And then they go off and they, they start killing dark dark elves. It's so good. And it's just like this curt little like authentic moment between two people who have shared so much history. Yeah, it's that thing of grounding a massive cosmic storyline with these little street level, very personal, very human moments. Even if those occur, you know, like in the middle of a giant dark elf siege, you still get these amazing moments with characters and the balance, again, of those things just kind of blows my mind. 
Um, this has another of like one of my favorite moments in this book is just full of favorite moments and favorite panels and spreads. The, the moment where like the sky clears and Odin rides in with his Valkyrie is so like Lord of the Rings esque heroic. You can feel the sweeping music and it's so cool. And it so quickly turns to a nightmare because Malekith is just like flying death. There's this beautiful panel where he's on his winged tiger and he's like blasting magic blasts around and it's just skeletons falling in the sky. It is terrifying. Yeah. And there's a, an awesome page with Dr. Strange in the middle of that, which I love so much. It's just one of those things, you know, like Jason Aaron had this incredible Doctor Strange run. And so I don't know, just part of me just loves that where it's just like we get this moment with this character that, you know, this writer has so much history with and he just boom pops in, has this awesome moment. He looks incredible. Overall, I think something that Russell and Matt do very often in their stories. And I think even if you look at this year's giant size X-Men Jean Grey and Emma Frost story that they did with Jonathan Hickman. There's this swirling kind of energy that they make such incredible use of. It's almost impossible to describe. And I think that's the point is that it is so beautiful. It's so specific uh, and it's so reliant on you just diving in with your eyes. But at the same time, it is, it's almost like Russell and Matt's version of like a Kirby crackle because they use it often, but to such incredible effect. I love that you mentioned that because that's going to come up in the conversation later on towards the end of this. But you also mentioned just like the designs and the way that like Dr. Strange looks. Well, we have the Valkyrie and we have Brunhild and like this beautiful spread. And uh, we have a clip here of Russell talking about designing that. The Valkyries, that double page spread where... You know, everything's looking pretty grim. Then we see Odin and Brunhilde leading all the Valkyries in to try and save everybody. And that was, you know, something that I really loved drawing, one of my favorite parts of that issue. But then, you know, things don't go so well. And uh, <laughs> yeah. we have that horrible end for Brunhilde. And uh, I had just designed that costume and then it has to get all, you know, destroyed. And <laughs> get all messy. Yeah. yeah. That's what they do. They create beautiful things and then they destroy them. The life of a comic book creator. But there's so many haunting moments towards the end of that issue. There's one of like a TV report with a Pegasus just impaled on something that ugh, creeps me out every time. But that's how issue two ends. We go into issue three and it's super fun because... While the issue two is very much set in New York City, issue three really starts to get into the sort of fantasy of it all. And we have a clip of Jason and the team talking a little bit about that right now. My favorite part of that team is most all those characters have some kind of fantasy trapping, right? Like Cap's got an axe and Spider-Man's got a helmet and Wolverine is just there with a cowboy hat on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just... He's still just Wolverine yeah. jeans and a T-shirt and a cowboy hat. It's just like he's up in Canada, like, yeah. you know, the wilds of right. Canada. Right. It's just yeah. like it. And miraculously, Canada. the cowboy hat stays on his head. Yeah. <laughs> well, he wouldn't be a good cowboy if he lost his hat riding a horse, it, it, even exactly. if it is a, a winged horse. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I like... I like to think that his hair, right. yeah, which goes out, got frozen mm -hmm. and kept the hat yeah. in place. There it's you tension. go. It's, yeah, it's physics. I like the idea of the the physics of the the hair being getting in there. Um, 
but just like the fun part of all that like the there's a moment where spidey gets a a, a hat and a, a shield and i think my favorite is that captain america gets yarnbjorn which is thor's mystical axe i'm just so consistently stunned by the ability of a writer to tell this giant story but then on literally the level of dozens of different individual characters find these beats for them that are so right for who they are and i think that just speaks to an incredible symbiosis between the story that the writer wants to tell and the story that the characters want to tell and i think that does a lot for the writer themselves where it's just like you don't necessarily say cap is going to do this certainly that's part of it but a part of it is also what would cap do uh and you know in a moment like this it's so unique it's so different but it's also so perfect at the same time and also what would cap wear because captain america has a jacket that russell designs that is one of my favorite things let's hear a clip of russell talking about that right now i designed the jacket just because i knew he needed something to wear in Jotunheim because everybody kind of got some winter gear. Um, Scales aren't warm. Yeah. And I didn't think that he would really, that character would wear something like a cloak or, you know, something as Guardian-y. And so I figured at Avengers HQ, he probably would have had some um, cap branded outerwear. And <laughs> so we get to see that. And I tried to just design a jacket that I would want to wear <laughs> as a cap jacket. Yeah. I want that jacket, a hundred percent. Well, good. I'm glad you like it. I still am annoyed that we don't have a licensee making that jacket just for me. <laughs> uh, it's it's so pure and and perfect. In a way, that is a similar diverse skill set that I was just talking about. The writer and the writer's command of these giant big beats, as well as the little you know detailed character moments. That's a similar dynamic for an artist, is to be able to pull off these giant big action beats. And then also have time to design an entire new like range of clothing for all of these characters and for them to be so cool at the same time, not just get the job done, but to elevate it at the same time is a similar command of just like these giant things all the way down to the most minute details. And, you know, I guess that's what separates uh, the wheat from the chaff. That's what makes Russell one of the best in the world. Yeah, uh, especially the design that they worked on for one of your favorite characters, Daredevil. Oh, man. So, you know, we could do an entire episode about everything that goes on with Daredevil in this event. He becomes the god without fear in here. There's an, a beautiful, powerful irony to what Jason does with Daredevil, where he gives him the ability to essentially sense and see and hear and you know everything across the cosmos he is imbued with this cosmic power and he gets this awesome badass sword as well where matt murdoch from hell's kitchen is elevated to this level and again it's so so perfect i think when i think back this is one of the big images that i think of when i think back to war of the realms yeah uh let's hear a little bit about what russell has to say designing this look i had the idea kind of early on when i first read that you know it was jason's plan to have him take up heimdall's sword and get imbued with that power i knew i wanted to continue the sort of starry galaxy effect that um i'd been doing for Heimdall's skin, 
But for Daredevil, I decided to put it that effect on his costume instead of his skin to sort of imply that this power was borrowed and it wasn't, you know, a part of him like it was with Heimdall, who, I, you know, is a god and is sort of not the rightful heir to that power. But you know what I mean? Like it, he was more natural for him to have that. But this is sort of a borrowed gift for Daredevil, like he's wearing it. And so we put the starry effect on his existing costume. And I love how that turned out in the way that Matt colored it, I think is great. Yeah, it's such a simple idea that, to put it on his costume like that as far as visually. Like, I mean, it's you already kind of probably have this, a lot of the, the shadows inked black and like really just adding kind of the galaxy to that. So he's not, you know, theoretically much different, but visually like it makes a huge impact to make that small change to him. And then that effect itself is just fun to color. Uh, it's a, there's a couple of times where Ru I'm like, man, Russell's making me look way better than I am because <laughs> like, Russell's doing all this awesome work in the art. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm coloring the elements he's giving me, but like, like if they're like, yeah, just put some stars on Daredevil, Matt, I would not look this good. So <laughs> You're selling yourself short. You make everything look better. <laughs> oh my God. I love that explanation so much. I love that so much. The detail of saying on that subconscious level of like, this is a borrowed power. And so he's, he's not imbued with it necessarily on a cellular level. He's just kind of living with it. Oh man, that makes me lose my mind. Right? Oh, so yeah. good. We got to keep moving through this issue because we've got the Avengers on their flying horses going to rescue Thor in Jotunheim, um, which there's some great stuff that Tom Taylor does in one of his tie-ins with Spider-Man and the horses. It's really good. Then you have another squad driving to the Black Bifrost in a Hell Charger, which is like the dynamics of all this is just super duper fun. Yeah, I, I think it completely encapsulates the fantasy genre here because it is full of adventure it's full of like it's not just like we're stuck on the streets and we're just fighting it out you know the, there is certainly a ton of that and there are a ton of those you know you know like sword and shield kind of moments then you have these other beats where it's like we need to go over here and do this we need to go travel across the universe and do that we need to you know just that quest aspect of the story i think is so effective and it's those moments that again somehow marry these two genres in a way between these superheroes and then adding this incredible fantasy aspect to it just it just it's pulled off so so well yeah, and it is uh, like you you mentioned. It's uh, a big adventure, and it's global and universal. And like, there's a moment where you have a team of War Avengers in London, and Malekith just beats the crap out of them. He gets the Ebony Sword. He pulls off the symbiote, and like, it's just gnarly fun. Like, do 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 do. It's almost like a ratatat series of montages because there's so much cool stuff. You get glimpses of it. You get snapshots. You get little bits and pieces. Um, I, you could live in this book for 40 issues and still not see everything cool that happens. But I think one of my favorite bits in the whole series is at the end of this issue, um, we get back to finally catching up to Thor. And he's again, he's like, more giants, send me more Odin damn giants, send them all. And he's covered in blood. And there's lightning everywhere. There's snow on the ground, covered in blood. Everything, hammers are just destroyed, covered in blood. One of his arms is gone, covered in blood. It is gnarly, and it is just so friggin' cool. 
I love that so much. And I feel like you can actually kind of, when you're looking at this from 10,000 feet and we're jumping between issues like we are, you can actually see the rhythm that Jason Aaron is playing with here because I believe each of these issues so far has concluded with a major Thor beat. And I know the next issue does as well. Issue number four does as well. It's so cool to see the the overall story being told through Thor, through the kind of central hero who brought this whole thing on and is ultimately going to be the one to face it all down, to see those moments where you can kind of get a, a temperature test of where the overall fight is based on where Thor is himself and where, you know, it, like we just said, he's in the middle of just the blood and guts action here. And that's where we are in the story. And then as we progress and we see, you know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but then we see it, what happens at the end of issue four. And we kind of have that moment where we're kind of we're reloaded and we're ready to fire again. Um, it's so cool to see that so clearly laid out and it just speaks to the chaos that's un unfolding in you know all of these issues and on each individual panel and page but then when you can kind of have a, a little moment to analyze what work is being done here you can see the rhythm and of course that's not something you're thinking about when you're reading it week by week or month to month but you can feel it without a doubt and that's the effect of it it's a subconscious effect where you can you have this entry point with this character and you're with it all the way yeah super well said before we move on to issue four and get into some of the stuff you're talking about we also have a clip of matt and russell talking about sort of the global side of things um because at the end of issue three they put together a new map of midgard which shows how Malekith has divided up Midgard into like New Jotunheim is North America, the Dusklands are South America, New Heaven is Africa, like all these different things. It's so wild and so, so like just bonkers. I love how they, they went for it. But we also have like the connection to the greater Marvel Universe that they talk about. And not just like, oh, we're going to bring in characters, but how we play with those characters that are going on in other books. So we have here, particularly Jason and Russell talking about the way that Venom is brought into the story in issue four. Like Donny Cates, you know, with the origin stuff he did for Venom, connected some of that back to Thor and to the, the god Null. And so it's cool to kind of connect that back to what we're doing in Thor and how that rolled into War of the Realms. So Venom will be a big part of this final confrontation. Yeah, it was um, Jason's idea to pair him with Malekith, I thought was so great. Like, even though they're, you know, their aesthetics are different and, you know, Malekith is very fantasy oriented and Venom is not, like, they really go together, I think. And in the issue four, I believe, we see Malekith torturing Venom in a Stonehenge, which I thought was a really great setting for that. It's, it's really creepy and we see sort of the effect that Malekith is having on Venom and Venom is dripping and barely able to hold, you know, his shape together. That was really cool to draw and uh, really fun to make it so gnarly and weird. They are a natural fit, however, with a great hair and great tendrils. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of swirly He's stuff. Yeah, a lot of swirling going on. <laughs> a lot of swirling. A, that should be the tagline for the third act. Yeah, the third A act. lot of swirly stuff. There you go. <laughs> act three, a lot of swirly stuff. Yeah. See, Tucker? A lot of swirly stuff. Boom. 
There it is. You knew it. You you you, you landed <laughs> on it. It's it's a lot of swirly stuff, and that's kind of their thing. It works so well. But there's so much that goes on in, in issue four. We've got Freya wielding the bitter blade and guarding the black bifrost, and she's all like she's got these like weird purple energies coming out from her and she's just killing dark elves. And she's like, how many, you know, dark elves is worth one of you or, or how many dark elves is worth one of me. And it's just this badass scene. I love that. And then you, you know, zip across the universe, you go to Avengers mountain, which is under siege from all the forces. There's little bits and pieces. I think in, it might be in this issue where Namor is fighting like lava sharks under the water. It's like all kinds of wild stuff. Um, and then you get, one of the coolest designs of the book, which is Odin, the Iron Allfather. He comes to uh, Svartalheim to get Freya. This like the cool gold outfit that he rolls up in. It's another one of those things where you just are kind of blown away by the obvious like amount of time and energy and effort that goes into these kind of things because. You know, not only do we have months and months and months of this creative team working on putting this thing together, but then you just have a moment like this that lands so perfectly. It's so distinct. It's so awesome. I love that helmet with just like the one eye. It's another one of those things that just every single element is pulled off so beautifully, but I'm just blown away by the the attention to detail and the way that it's kind of you know fully realized inside you know the story is just perfect in every way yeah another one of those perfectly realized bits for me is um there's this a a couple of panels where you see uh various heroes they're in avengers mountain there's the wall of weapons behind them it's punisher showing some light elves the weapons and uh the, the, there's reactions to something that is sort of behind the camera and the elves bow down. Punisher says, sorry about your family. And you just see a close up of the destroyer arm. And then like next page, it's Thor having put on the destroyer arm, like the giant near indestructible, you know, robot from Asgard. He's using its arm as his arm. And it's so cool. Thor getting back into the fight and to what you were talking about earlier, it's that, let's end this issue with a great Thor moment. And that like, dun, 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 here's the end of act two. Let's go into act three and, and push back, which rules so hard. So we get into issue five, which opens up with Thor and daredevil going to the sun where the world tree is growing out of it because of course, because <laughs> like, that's a thing that they do. I love this. Cause you know, we've seen like the, the fight and it's going really poorly. And now we start to see the things change great sequence with Dora Milaje and the Black Panther versus the Angels of Heaven um, because you're not going to beat the Dora Milaje. I don't, I don't care who you are. Screw you, angels. Uh, that rules. And you get Punisher giving guns to the elves and showing them how to shoot, uh, which is a lot of fun. Balder driving... One of my favorite panels, and it's it's a really brief bit. Balder is driving Ghost Rider's Hell Charger. Doctor Strange is hanging out the passenger seat uh, and he's got one of his axes and he's cutting like this. I think it's like a, uh, Niflheim monster. Like a, uh, he's cutting a monster in half and it's just so fun. And so like, boom, that we see this move on, boom, we see this move on. I think there's somewhere in Asia, you've got Hogan and Fandral of the warriors three who are, uh, with Wolverine and Fandral goes, 
can we keep him? And I think like it's those little you, you don't even have enough time to like get used to it because it moves so quickly through everything. There's like issues worth of stories just packed into each individual pages. Like I just want to read a, I want to read a limited series of so many of those different things. And it's just boom, boom, boom. And it just speaks to the level of quality that's going on in terms of the storytelling and the command of it all. It's so awesome. Yeah. Like just what you were saying, there's a panel of Iron Man flying with a bunch of um, dwarves and the dwarves have their own armor. And it's like, all right, well, what is that like what is that 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 story give me 12 pages or 20 pages of iron man bickering with dwarves while they're all using iron man armor and they're like blowing up trolls or something it's so cool (laughs) so awesome uh but we come back we start to set up the final beats for the story because we see thor he's impaled himself from the world tree on the sun in order to gain knowledge just like his dad did which is just bonkers stuff it is like mixing as guardian lore with marvel comics lore so thor is all the way over there and then malekith he's over at stonehenge and it's like party 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 time for him and his you know forces of evil we have a couple of clips here from russell and matt and company talking about all the uh the stonehenge stuff stonehenge was really neat like as a setting for this i thought that was a brilliant idea but Jason's also come up with a lot of like brilliant, you know, set piece uh, ideas, like the um, Great Wall of China burning. I thought was really great, and that was fun to draw. The setup in Australia, like I drew this big dust storm that's swirling around in the Australian outback, like all the because as Jason said, you know, Thor is kind of streaking around the globe and trying to help in all of these different places as he can, and in the Australian outback, he's creating a big windstorm and so we see all this sand and stuff blowing around all the characters and that was really fun like we've got Deadpool in there and She-Hulk with her Thunderguard hammer and the little bits of the armor like that was a really cool scene to draw. Yeah I think when things like you know the Stonehenge or the Great Wall of China like these places that are iconic that you know it's not they're not in our series like regularly it's i I look at it and think all right this is my one shot to make it look as iconic and as great as it possibly can you know because usually it's going to be some big moment happening as well so it'll help sell the big moment and you know those places are beautiful and dramatic to begin with and then we're messing them up with you know storms and all this other stuff so yeah it's it makes for a lot of fun work uh anytime you can like vary what you're doing for for me anyway is is it's a good week you know and i'm not just stuck inside coloring the same office you know hallway or something like that for 18 pages of an issue if we're jumping all over the world i mean that's that makes for a fun week of coloring for me i bet though if matt wilson had to color 18 pages of an office hallway, it would be the coolest looking office hallway you'd ever seen. Yeah, of course. He, he could just make everything look cooler. Then <laughs> um, the last panel of issue number five is a Thor panel, but it's not an Odinson panel. I think based on exactly what we were talking about earlier, it's such a beautiful nod, such a beautiful turn, you know, in, in the way that these beats have been ending how each issue has been ending how we've had a lot of thor odinson moments to end each issue and now as we go you know as we finish the penultimate book and we move into the final story we have our thor moment but it's with jane 
and uh, you know, I just I, that just couldn't be more beautifully laid out. And again, it's one of those things that you're not necessarily keeping perfect tabs on, and you know, like little you know, writing a little check mark for each thing that happens. But it's something you can absolutely feel. And you know, with Jason's Mighty Thor run being one of the best Marvel comic stories in modern history for my money getting this moment here is perfectly due and uh, Jane has been doing a lot of really cool stuff throughout this entire event but then to finally have this big moment um, which is both inevitable and surprising at the same time is just so so perfect yeah Um, and someone else who loved this was Sarah Brunstad one of the editors on the book I have a lot of favorite moments, but when I read the script for issue number six, where Jane picks up the hammer of the War Thor and joins the fight, and then later when the hammer breaks apart and a new weapon forms on her arm, I felt like punching the air. That moment, of course, led to the Jane Foster series that I also work on, which is one of my favorite projects. Yeah, the, all the, the Jane stuff um, just gets even cooler by issue six, which is the, the last issue of the main series, which opens with Thor giving his eye for knowledge. So fulfilling that part of, of who he is, he's been holding on to this last little bit of Mjolnir on a, like a chain around his neck and he doesn't want to give it up. And he, doesn't, and he finally just says, OK, fine, take that, too. And it's this like sacrifice. He's given everything. He's given parts of himself. He's given parts of, you know, his hammer for everything. And finally that works. And so you get this amazing couple of sequences where it's gathering the young Thor that we saw from the earliest moments of Jason's run, the old Thor, the King Thor, plus you've got the new one-eyed Thor, and then you got Jane Thor. And it's what they call the storm of Thor's which is so cool, so metal, and uh, Sarah also has something to say about that. Possibly my favorite memory is the two-page spread from issue number six of all the Thors, Jane, young Thor, old King Thor, and contemporary Odinson flying off to meet Malekith. That was a sequence that Russell specifically asked Jason for. He was always teasing Jason for giving him such packed pages to draw, and it came out brilliantly. Ah. You know what, though? There might be one other contender for favorite memory from that series. It's possibly the page in number six where Mjolnir reforms and plunges down to Midgard covered in fire. It's so pretty. <laughs> it is a very pretty page. We haven't gotten there yet, Sarah, but we will get to that in a moment. Uh, there's a couple more bits because all the heroes around the world, they're sort of saving the day. One of my favorite Captain Marvel bits is she's covered in blood. She's on fire. She's holding a burning sword. She's standing on the Queen of Cinders. She's just beating the crap out of the Queen of Cinders. And she says, so much for the Fire Queen. Now where's the King of the Snowflakes? And I just freaking love that line. It's so good. Yeah, it's so Carol. We've got Daredevil versus Laufey and the Casket of Ancient Winters, which is bringing in Thor lore and, and all the stuff that you talked about with Daredevil. It's a lot of fun. Malekith by this point is all juiced up. He's got the symbiote. He's got weapons. He's got all this stuff. And so... He like basically says only a Thor can come to this fight. And so thankfully you've got the storm of Thors. They get there. It's like the Thors versus Malekith and spiders and dogs and all this stuff. And to Sarah's point, Thor is like fighting and he says, all I'll need to finish you Malekith is a good hard rain. And then Mjolnir drops from the sky and lands. Man, that's so good. 
And I also love what Malekith says, right, as that happens. He says, mother of maggots. <laughs> it's so perfect. That's so good. Uh, we're getting down to, like, the last couple of bits here. Thor bringing the hammer down. One of the things that I actually really like about the end of this is that it doesn't belabor the point. It doesn't, like, make Malekith, like, fight on for 10 pages and, like, all this stuff. It's like Malekith has orchestrated all this and he's done a ton of stuff. Thor is Thor and Thor with Mjolnir just does it like he's able to put it all together. And I like that it there's a succinct finality to that battle. Um, and then you start to see around the world the last couple of things, Loki cutting himself out of Laufey's stomach, which is gross. It rules. Uh, it's so good. Malekith then like mauled by his own animals, uh, which is mwah piece de resistance yeah it's like it it is that that thing that just it just feels right you know just for the kind of villain that malekith is the way that he operates it's just one of those things that you couldn't have predicted it but it just feels so perfect yeah and the final moments of the main book give us jane uh, getting her new all weapon um loki celebrating Odin bowing down to the new Allfather, which is Thor. It is such a, like, if you just read this, you get everything. But then there's that hint of more, the potential. It's so good. It is damn near perfect event for my money. I can't, can't argue with that. I mean, the, the way that it all comes together, uh, the, you know, we mentioned, I mentioned the tie-ins that, you know, have paired with this story as we've gone along. Some of my favorites, they're so, so excellent. Uh, and then of course, how this leads into the end of the Thor series, which then itself leads into King Thor, just in terms of the Thor side of everything. Uh, it's just, it's just beautiful. And that, you know, that's why, that's why we're talking about it. That's why it is going down in history. That's why it's one of the best uh, in recent memory. Yeah, there is an Omega issue, um, which is more of an epilogue that sort of, uh, wraps up Daredevil's story with Heimdall. It wraps up uh, Jane. Well, actually, sets off Jane Foster and her new role as Valkyrie. Um, you get to see uh, Loki as King of the Frost Giants, uh, and you get to see Punisher go off in his uh, revenge track as uh, the Punisher kill crew going after sort of the war criminals, which is so good, man. That's such a great series. Uh, you could, I would say read all those, read the Omega. There's tons of tie-ins as we mentioned. One of the tie-ins is agents of Atlas, uh, which is written by Greg Pak. Yeah. That agents of Atlas series is one of my favorites. The way that Greg assembled those characters and writes them is so excellent. One of my favorite things happened to Marvel Comics in 2019. I got to talk to him a little bit about it. So let's hear that here. It started off as I'd wanted to do another story with a bunch of Asian American superheroes mm -hmm. in the Marvel Universe. I did one in the Totally Awesome Hulk yep. book where yeah. Amadeus Cho teams up with Shang-Chi and a bunch of other Asian American superheroes and they, they get Korean barbecue and they do karaoke and then they fight space aliens. You know, <laughs> it was just a ton of fun. And, I, you know, I wanted to kind of dig into that vibe again. And at the same time, Marvel had been working with overseas creators mm -hmm. uh, and, and some other creators making these Chinese superheroes based in Shanghai that were published as uh, Chinese webcomics, Arrow and Swordmaster. Right. And then in the video game world, in the Marvel Future Fight game, they created a number of Korean superheroes from Korea. So there was a chance to like pull in these Asian American superheroes I already worked with along with these 
other heroes from Asia. So it was this kind of great chance to get all of these characters together and to debut a bunch of characters for the first time in the comics, you know, where they're fighting a big Thor villain who's trying to take over Asia. Um, (laughs) But it's also, you know, about the Asian diaspora, right? You know what I mean? Which is sort of, I think, something that anybody from any immigrant group can understand, where you've got, you know, first, second, third generation Asian Americans and also folks from Asia folks of different ages, generations, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. And so ostensibly they're all sort of like on the same page, but they're also not on the same page in yeah. a lot of ways. And and being able to play with all those sort of points of similarity and difference has been a huge amount of fun. That was one of the tie-ins. Another one was the War Scrolls, which was like an anthology book. And uh, we have one more clip from Sarah, which is super funny. Let's play that one. The main editor, Will Moss, and I had to decide what color frost giant poop would be because it was a major plot point in the Howard the Duck story. Frost giant poop. (laughs) It's a hotly debated topic at Marvel headquarters. I love that. Um, So good. So I put out a call on Twitter just asking for some, some, you know, like what were your your our listeners favorite moments, uh, favorite lines? Uh, I got a bunch of great responses. I know Amy Thunderjam at If She Be Worthy uh, says, I take it that the all the everything is an acceptable is not an acceptable response. Um, she says, Cap hitting Malekith in the face with a shield, the storm of Thor's, Carol calling for the King of Snowflakes, everything with Spider-Man, the Strike Force tie-ins, Mjolnir reforged, seeing the creative team come together. And she says, and this one I thought was really, really um, wonderful. She says, this was the first and likely only Marvel event for which I purchased every tie-in, all of them. The scope of the adventure simply begged not to be missed. Um, which is kind of like, thank you. That's just the thing that we just say, thank you. Joe Bortner at Joe B underscore draws says, uh, he quotes, there must always be a Thor. And sometimes there must be more than one, uh, which is the moment where, uh, Jane looks at the, the war Thor's hammer and realizes she has to become Thor one more time to help out. Um, because man, that rules so hard. We had a bunch more in here. Simon Williams, one of our longtime listeners, at Simon Seb saying Jane Foster becoming Thor one more time. Jeff Rothman at AmazingJR87 saying War of the Realms was fantastic. He also echoes Jane Foster becoming Thor one last time had me cheering. Um, Tony, another one of our longtime listeners, T. Bizzlesworth, says, You know I love War of the Realms from start to finish. Some great parts. Thor screaming for more giants. Cap bouncing his shield off Malekith. Iron Allfather, Punisher, Spider-Man, Loki's Return, and the Storm of Thors. You see a lot of recurring things here, which I think speaks well to those moments and how they hold up um, afterwards and people's like immediate reactions to this. Um, Robbie Gibbons at Dirty underscore Raccoon also loves the Storm of Thors. All four Thors go in to fight Malekith and also when Thor gets Malekith back and when Daredevil squares up with Laufey. And then finally, couldn't uh, not shout out Karis Pollard at at a Karis Pollard saying, I loved War of the Realms so very, very much. And I was so inspired rereading it today. And I had some time on my hands. I made this poster and she'll she's uh, tweeting it properly later so we can actually read it. And it's this really cool big poster um, running down all the stuff. She's basically did what we did, but she did it in a cool poster way um, with uh, recapping each issue. So um, I would definitely say check out what she put together because it it's pretty cool. Um, and it's fun. You know, it's like we talked about it. You talked about it earlier. The story we're about a year out from this from the start of this. 
and it's stuck with people. It's one of those things that like I think will last and will will sit on people's shelves and they'll go, yeah, that one rules. It really does. I mean, it's also, you know, we haven't talked much about what was happening in the Thor main series as this was going on, but some of my favorite stuff of 2019 also happened just in Thor, the the main series. There's just so much to love. That story of Cull, um, the like Odin's evil brother and like his sacrifice for the elves. And I was just, like, I, I sometimes I just think about that one and and some of the art that happens throughout all those Thor issues. Man, this is really good. And something else, Ryan, that I really love, and I was it was actually kind of. I don't know if it's deliberate. I don't know if it's not. But the way that we see the rainbow in the background of the final page of the final issue of War of the Realms, to me, it 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 has it has a note of Mike Del Mundo kind of painterly quality to it because I think Matt has such sharp, distinct colors, uh, and that is a very kind of like water watercolory backdrop to this story i don't know just for me i love that little note that just feels like okay and now we could re-enter thor's world back again and we're going back in that direction i don't know how deliberate that is i don't know if that's just me reading too far into these things but i also just love the way that the the thor stories have been looking in that main series as this war of the realms thing was going on so there's just so many little details that you can dive into just like that uh, that makes perfect sense i could see that as well so that was our dive into War of the Realms. Uh, we would love to hear from you. If there are other stories you want us to check out, you can tweet us at Tucker Marcus and at Agent M on Twitter. Use hashtag Marvel's pull list. Um, but before we go, there are new issues added to Marvel Unlimited this week. Um, we'll have the full list for you with the uh, with the article. A couple that I wanted to point out: Absolute Carnage, Immortal Hulk number one, which was. A great issue that ties into everything that Immortal Hulk has been doing at the time, but also fits into the Absolute Carnage story. Um, Black Cat, issue number five, because that book rules so hard. Contagion, number one, with Ed Brisson getting real weird in like 80s grimy horror movie uh, storyline. Ghost Rider, number one. House of X, number six. So that uh, House of X and Powers of Ten coming to a close on Marvel Unlimited. Marvel Comics, 1001. Tons of cool stories in there. Uh, some Star Wars books. And uh, Thanos, the Infinity Ending, which is really cool because that's an original graphic novel. The whole thing is now on Marvel Unlimited. Check that out. And then for the classic stuff, we added, um, you know, like almost a dozen issues of peter parker the spectacular spider-man the like late 70s series so issues 32 through 41 um check those out and yeah it's a good dang week yeah so much to dive into and uh yeah hours and hours of good stuff in there yeah Thank you all for joining us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, and Zachary Goldberg. Our audio development manager is Lauren Wiener, and Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Big shout out to audio development manager Brad Barton, who is keeping busy during this time by reorganizing his comic book collection, High Fidelity Style. He's doing it personally. It's like his own chronology. He has to remember where he was <laughs> when he bought a specific issue, who he was with, what heart he was breaking at any time. And that's how he connects all the dots in his comic book collection. It's it's a wild way to do it, Brad, but we believe in you. Heartbreaker. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.